You're listening to the Over a Drink podcast, the podcast dedicated to normalizing normal men talking about normal things, putting purpose to pain, turning men into soldiers, and weaponizing testimonies. I'm Mitch Parsons, and I am your host. Welcome to another week of the Over a Drink podcast, the podcast dedicated to normalizing normal men talking about normal things. I'm excited to be here with you guys today. Today is a coffee day. It is uh, Starbucks, which don't tell any of my friends that I'm drinking Starbucks because they'll they'll coffee shame me. Uh, generally, I'm a, a sweet bloom guy, but today we haven't gone to the grocery store and here we are with ground Starbucks coffee. Um, our guest today is somebody who um, honestly could kill me with his bare hands. Um, in nine different ways. Uh, and then if I were to put any kind of weapon in his hand, I'm just completely toast. He is um, a massive human being. Uh, I, I say that in like the kindest way. I, at one point, ran and jump off, jumped off of a chair to try to blindside him. And he turned and caught me like a, like a ballerina or like, like a gymnast would catch somebody and just held me there. Um, and I'm six foot four, 250 pounds. So mind you, um, he is, he is a big, strong guy. He is a green beret. Um, he is a father. He is a husband. He is a believer. Uh, Aaron Smith is here with me today and I love this man. He is so kind. He could kill me again. I, I need to emphasize how easily he's trying not to laugh how because he knows it's true how easily he could kill me um and yet he is the kindest teddy bear of a man uh that you'll ever meet and so i want to give him a chance to introduce himself talk about himself for a second which he hates to do uh but i told him that the one rule of him being here was that he had to do it so uh, aaron how's it going hey mitch hey uh, thanks for having me on your uh, on your podcast i really appreciate it man this is great. Yeah, it's it's an it's an honor. You're well. Uh, a little bit about me. I'm a I'm a Colorado native. Um, I was born uh, at St. Joseph's Hospital in 1987. Uh, spent most of my my childhood here in Colorado, and um, yeah, I went to uh, a tiny little private Christian school, uh, which was good. It kept me out of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, I did two years at DU, uh, and then. Had a bunch of student loan debt and felt like I was being called to, to be in the military. So I joined the Army, <clears throat> not knowing much about it, and uh, eventually became a Green Beret. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about so that. So you turned out to be pretty good at the Army stuff. I, I guess so. You know, I, I was always one of those kids that was playing uh, playing war in the backyard. We'd, every stick was a gun, so we'd figure some way out to, to have our, uh, our weapons of war. Just, just to talk about this for one second, for those of, the, for those of you who don't know... I asked Aaron earlier, what are the qualifications for a Green Beret? And he was like, well, you have to be selected. And 1% of all armed forces are selected. So in that, he's 1%. And then on top of that, he is so mad at me right now. On top of that, 1%, (laughs) the attrition rate of that is 66%. So one-third of 1% has made it this far. And then after that, what did you say? Fifty percent actually end up becoming. Yeah, look, probably a little lower than that. Put, more like thirty percent. So, one yeah. percent, and then thirty-three percent of one percent, and then thirty percent of that is Aaron. <laughs> um, so I'm not kidding you. Hand to hand, 
I could have like I could have an assault rifle and he would still beat me with his hands. <laughs> I don't know about all that, man. But you know, just, but Aaron is awesome. So. And just just to say this, man, like, um, and I mean this, you know, from the bottom of my heart, like I I feel so blessed to have been given the opportunities I've been given. Um, you know, I think a lot about you know my mom was a nurse for over forty years with special needs kids, and um, you know I think about those kids and you know they didn't choose to be born with special needs. You know, all the, all the gifts and the talents I've been given, are they really are that a gift. So, um, you know, the blessing to be able to have the ability and the physical ability to, to make it through um, is a blessing. Um, and the mental ability. You're, you're, you're a doctor well, also. I, I don't know about all that, man. I hand out gummy bears to <laughs> sick people. So, um, But, I mean, it does put it in a little bit, little bit of perspective. I mean, I think we live in a time where less than 1% of the... the um, you know, the United States actually volunteers for the army because we're volunteer military. I should say military, not just army. Um, so of that 1%, there's only 1% of that 1% that are actually um, physically capable or uh, mentally capable to, to complete some of that training. And then kind of like you talked about, that, that attrition rate goes up and up. So um, I just think it, it definitely is a testimony of the fact that, that, that God placed me exactly where he had me for the reason that he had me there, um, because I couldn't have just done that stuff on my own. We can talk some more about that as we, as yeah, this yeah. podcast goes on for sure. Yeah. So, so you have a little boy. I do. Yeah. You uh, and your wife. A little almost two year old named Judah, uh, Judah Alexander Clayton Smith. Mm. And, uh, we share the same two middle names and then we have one on the way, um, which we're still talking about names, but I like the name Ezekiel because it means, uh, servant of God, which is pretty cool. That is cool. Like, all right, that's pretty sweet. So, um, but you know, those are conversations to be had in the the future. Yeah. How long have you always been married? Uh, five years. Yeah. This year. Congratulations. Thanks man. Yeah. It's been good. It's been good. Um, so I, you know, it's crazy how time just kind of goes by and then you're like, wow, it's already been five years and we almost have two kids and man, just kind of flies by. So dang, that's crazy. And I interrupted you. So you joined the army. No, yeah, no, yes, you're good. So, uh, yeah, I joined the army. I was 19. Um, I was sitting in a class at DU. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to study, but, uh, my parents really wanted me to me at DU. So I was paying the student loans. And, uh, so I was majoring in criminology because it sounded cool, not because I had any aspiration to do anything with it, but, um, I was listening to, if you know anything about DU, you know, it's a, there's a lot of really privileged kids that get to go there. Um, and I was listening to one such person talk about the war and their opinion on it and they opposed it and I was getting angry. And, um, I just had this moment of realization where I was like, you know, I'm sitting here in this comfortable classroom arguing about, you know, politics and semantics and all these different things. And there's guys my age that are overseas right now fighting for my freedom to do that. And it was kind of like this watershed moment, if you will, of just like, wow, like, why, why am I not doing that? And so I honestly, I just started kind of praying about it. And I was like, you know, um, God, I'm going to look into this. And if you open the doors, then I'll walk through them. And uh, I'd had what I thought was um, sports induced asthma as a kid. So I'd kind of submitted some, you know, letters of interest to the Marine Corps and mentioned that and they're like, oh yeah, you can't, you can't join. So I ended up sitting down with a recruiter with my parents and they weren't 
all that happy about it. But um, we sat down and um, he was like, hey, what do you want to do? And I was like, I'd like to do something medical. And he's like, oh, you can be a healthcare specialist. And I was like, I don't want to be a healthcare specialist. I, I want to be on the front lines. And I didn't really say it in those terms because my mom was there and she wasn't too happy about it. But uh, I was looking down the list and I saw something. It was an 18 Delta Special Forces medic. And I was like, well, what's that? And the recruiter was like, well, you know, that's Special Forces. It's pretty hard. Um, but, you know, you're in, you're in decent shape. You might be able to make it. And I was like, okay, that's what I want to do. So um, jumped through all the hoops and miraculously all the doors opened and I took that as a sign. So, um, in 2007, in January 17th, 2007, uh, I went and got sworn in and joined the army wow. with a special forces recruit contract. It's an 18 x-ray or in the guard, it's called a rep 63 contract. And, um, so I was supposed to ship out in August. So I bought a book by Dick couch called chosen soldier. Cause I didn't really know anything about what I had just signed up for. <laughs> So I started reading this book and I was like, oh gosh, what have I signed up for? This sounds terrible. Yeah. <laughs> this sounds really hard. So I started training pretty hard and, um, yeah, I, I went to basic training in August, 2007 and graduated that. Then I went to Fort Sam Houston, um, for 16 weeks of, um, just the basic, uh, combat medic course, because at that time, what the guard was doing was they were sending all potential 18 deltas or special forces medics to the regular army, uh, medical training. So I finished that, went to airborne school, funny story about airborne school, actually, uh, my first jump, cause if you don't know what airborne school is basically, uh, three weeks and you do, um, you do five jumps and it's all static line, which means you jump out of the plane, your chute opens, and then you violently float to earth and, uh, hopefully land violently down. float. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like a paradigm, but it's really not, <laughs> especially when you're a little heavier. Um, but my first jump, I jumped out, well, that was right around when 300 came out. So I was thinking about Leonidas and I was like, Oh, I gotta be like Leonidas, <laughs> jump out of this plane. So I jump out the plane. Um, and you're supposed to pull your risers, which are what kind of holds your parachute on your back mm -hmm. to one side or the other. Um, and I thought I was floating left. I was actually going straight down. So I hit the ground and hyperflexed both my knees and I woke up the next morning. I couldn't walk and I was laying in bed and I was like, what am I going to do? And, uh, I just remember praying and I told the Lord, like, God, if you let me be able to complete this five mile run that we have this morning, I'll tell everybody that it was you that got me through airborne school and completed five mile run and graduated, uh, airborne school. So, wow. um, that's just a testimony to, to him, him just being like, okay, I got you, man. Um, that's really cool. So yeah, I graduated that then, uh, went straight to Fort Bragg and I started the special forces preparation course or the SFPC as it was called then, um, which was basically four weeks of just two days out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and then I went to special forces assessment and selection or SFAS and, um, let's see, it was June of 2008 and it was an eventful class. Um, it was really hot. And if you've been in North Carolina, when it's really hot, it's humid and hot. It's not just hot. And, um, you get out of the shower and then you walk outside and it feels like, well, you we didn't get showers, so there were no <laughs> showers. but everyone smelled like ammonia, which is when your muscles start, uh, you, you start using your muscles for energy. So your body burns that and you smell like ammonia. So everyone smelled like ammonia. <clears throat> and, um, on one of the final exercises, um, we got done with, uh, I think it was about 48 hours of walking through the woods. It's called the star event or the star land nav event. And, um, 
they informed us that we were missing a candidate. And so we were out of water, so they told us to crossload water, and we're gonna, we were going to go look for him. So we went out for another 12 hours or so and looked for him. Couldn't find him. Um, they ended up finding him the next morning, and he died. Um, there's some controversy, you know, around how he died, but it was so hot that day that there's a lot of speculation that he died from the heat. So um, in any case, uh, we get to the end of selection, and um, what they do is they put – or I'm not sure if they still do this, but they put everybody in a big classroom and you're assigned a roster number. Um, and my roster number was 225. And so they started calling out roster numbers. And if they called your roster number out, you would get up and leave the classroom and no one knew where you went. So we didn't know if you were being selected or if you were being weeded out. So they were calling numbers and we're all listening and we see the guys that are standing up. We're like, oh man, that dude's a piece of crap. Like he did terrible. So that's probably going to be the non-selects. And so they keep calling numbers, we're listening, and they call a dial. Roster number two, two, five. And everyone's kind of looking around because a dude stuttered and no one got up. And I was like, I guess that's me, roster number two, two, five. So I get up and I leave. I go over to where the other guys are at and I'm looking around. I'm like, man, this is the non-selects. Um, and so dudes are crying. And uh, the sergeant major came over and talked to us. And he's like, hey, you guys uh, were not selected. Um, for whatever reason, if you have more questions, you're willing, we're willing to talk to you about it. We thank you for coming out. You gave it your best effort. Um, just hang out here. We'll, we'll get you, get you, give you more instructions. So I had two thoughts on, in my mind. I was like, well, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> and two, uh, the thought that was prevailing was like, I just got, I trust you. I was like, I don't really know what's going on right now. I thought I did well. Um, but I trust you. And, uh, I was just thinking those thoughts and some kid ran over and joined our formation. And, uh, right around that time, you know, uh, I was kind of looking around he came over to me. He's like, Hey man, you, uh, probably want to go talk to the cadre. And I was like, why? I looked over to his shoulder and he was roster number two, five. And at that exact moment, I heard, uh, one of the cadre coming over and he's like, roster number two, two, five, come over here. And, um, I ran over and he's like, Hey, two things. First of all, you need to listen better. (laughs) And second of all, go get all your shit and pack it up and go join the other group. And I was like, ah. So I grab all my stuff and I run over to the other formation and they all saw me coming and everybody started clapping. And it turns out I was actually the honor grad for the entire class. Um, Wow. And they had just stuttered on the number. So, um, you know, I share that story not to to like toot my own horn because that's not the purpose, but it's just... It's more of a testimony that like God places us where we're supposed to be. Um, so I went on, I graduated uh, the Special Forces Qualification course. I'm, I'm an 18 Delta or a medic, um, and that usually takes around two to two and a half years. Um, most, most guys get recycled through at least one, one part of the course, and they didn't um, by the grace of God. And so, uh, yeah, May 2010, graduated that and got assigned to 5th Battalion Special Forces 5th Battalion, 19th Special Forces Group in Colorado, uh, which is a National Guard unit. So, um, yeah, I got there, and they're like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I just want to go to war. So they got me in Iraq within about eight months. Wow. Um, So I was in Iraq in 2011. So that's kind of the start of uh, my career. So 2011, we're 2021 now. So you've you've been active duty for... Would you say ten years, or does, does yeah, it start when you go to boot camp? Um, so I've been in I've been in the army for fourteen years, almost fifteen years, um, and I've been um, 
a special forces guy for probably almost 11 years now. Wow. Yeah. That is, that, that's impressive. <laughs> uh, well, once again, dude, it's just, it's a testimony like, uh, you know, God has us where we are for a reason. Yeah. And where, how many tours have you taken? Uh, seven. Seven tours. And how long do those usually last? So it depends. So three of those are combat, uh, two to Afghanistan, one Iraq, and then I've done some stuff in Africa and then in parts of Europe. So you're all over the place. Yeah. So the longest one I had was like eight and a half months. I was in Iraq. So, and there's a lot of like regular army guys, um, that early, earlier on the war, they were doing like 18 month deployments to Iraq, which is brutal. Yeah. So I'm pretty grateful that I never had to do that. Cause eight and a half months was, that was, that was pretty yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> that's that was pretty long, a long like, time. And so if you, are you allowed to talk about what you were doing over there? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of in vague terms. So in, in Iraq, uh, we were up North, um, we were near Mosul. And if you remember when ISIS, um, kind of started popping back up in, in Iraq, they were in Mosul. So they took over Mosul. But when we were, there was more, there were, there was some of that, but, um, we were definitely still fighting terrorism. So we were doing anywhere from one to two ops a week to a point where we were doing an op every night and we were on reverse schedule. So we were sleeping during the day and then going out at night. So especially when we were real busy, we would be, uh, out from anywhere from like eight thirty or 9 PM to four or five, we'd come back, eat breakfast. And then, uh, sleep for maybe five, six hours and then start planning for the next stop that night. Um, so we ran, we ran quite a few ops. Um, unfortunately, uh, well, uh, you know, I was 22, 23 and all I wanted was to see some combat. So, um, you know, we were hitting, hitting all these different houses, but the, uh, the insurgents at that time really understood, like, it's just a matter of time until the U S pulls out. Yeah. So they would just surrender. They wouldn't fight. So we were looking for a fight and they wouldn't give it to us. So it was super frustrating, especially as a young guy. Cause all I wanted to do was just get in a gunfight. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we went that whole tour without getting any gunfights. We rolled up a bunch of dudes, got in a bunch of like fist fights and stuff like that. But, um, I came back super frustrated and super angry. Um, there were some leadership issues at that time too, that kind of played into it. But, um, yeah, I got back in 2012 and as a young 23, 24 year old, I was kind of figuring out life and figuring out what I was doing. Yeah. And, uh, what was the Lord teaching you in that time? I think, I think that was a searching time. Um, I was definitely kind of in the wilderness. Um, my mom and dad had divorced several years prior to that. So I was kind of dealing with that trauma. And then our church at that time during like right before their divorce, this was in 2009 had uh, kind of fallen apart. And so I was just, I was super angry. I was super broken. I kind of on the inside and, um, I just, all I wanted to do is fight. And if it was like fight overseas or like fight downtown, cause I was like going out a lot and looking for fights and um, I was just angry. And so I went back to school at CU Denver, um, to just try to do something. And, uh, I was living in my mom's basement and, uh, I had this, this dog that I brought back with me that was 120 pounds. She was from Iraq. Um, 
And so we're sleeping on this day bed together, <laughs> which I and mean, she's 120 pounds. Yeah. I was like sleeping with another person on like a <laughs> less than twin bed. Um, and I was, I was pretty broke. I would scrounge together change to like buy some lunch cause I couldn't really afford anything. And it was, you know, that was self-imposed cause really when I got back, all I did was just go party. I went downtown and I had a buddy that we'd roll out together and all we did was we would literally go to a bar every night and buy shots for everybody and live like, you know, we didn't care and there was like no worries in the world. So, um, yeah, so I was pretty broke. Um, so yeah, I think there were, it was a searching time. And I think when I look back, I think that God really allowed me to go through that to, to understand like what it is to really need him. Because I think a lot of times when you have money and you have success and you're like, oh, I don't really need anything, um, it's harder to understand our need for God. Because it's not until you come to that end of yourself where you're like, I I have nothing. I can't do anything that there's just that true brokenness that God is able to be like, okay, cool. I got you. Um, it was at that time, man, um, that I I remember I was in... I was in that little twin twin bed and uh, had a bottle of whiskey in one hand and, and my pistol in the other. And I was thinking about, I was thinking about taking my own life. And, um, and it's by the grace of God I didn't. But I was that kind of done where I was just angry and just broken on the inside. And I wasn't really going to church. Or I, I would say I was going to church, but I was going to a church where it was like just going through the motions. And I go to church and I'm like, man, these people have no idea what like, what it is to really suffer. Like they don't understand. They're in their suits and they're saying nice words and everyone's like, I'll be blessed brother. And then, you know, they have no idea. Um, So uh, actually at the end of 2012, kind of near, I'd say third of the way through, I met a guy in the gym that, um, that I went to that was like, Hey man, um, do you go to church? He just came up to me and asked me and I was like, yeah, kind of. And he's like, well, you should check out my church. It's really good. And I was like, okay, where do you go? And he's like, Oh, I go to red rocks. And I was like, all right, fine. Well, I go to church at nine. I'll come to your 11. He's like, cool. So I went to that church and, um, honestly it was the first time that I'd really ever gone to church and heard like just the grace of God really laid out so well that like you are it like, it's not a lie. You are completely broken and you're completely screwed up, but God is just as good as you are broken. And so I started kind of going to that church and I think it, that's the catalyst kind of God used to start changing my perspective on my performance versus um, the fact that I was already accepted hmm. and already loved because I grew up, you know, just in a lot of churches that really, they were so focused on the performance, like, um, do good. And therefore you are a Christian. Whereas like the message of Jesus is like, you are loved. Therefore you're a Christian. And out of that love, that's where, you know, that's where our obedience comes in. I mean, it says in first John, you know, we love not because we loved him first, but that he first loved us. It's not that we, we prove to God that we love him, but we, we love him because he, we, we see how good he is and we're overwhelmed by that. And therefore, like we want to do what he says. Um, I think that's where I first started learning that, which was, 
I think it was pretty instrumental because I ended up going to Afghanistan in 2017, or I'm sorry, 2013. Um, and I got what I wished for. Uh, we, we were in a lot of combat and honestly, the first, the first gunfight I was in, um, there was an RPG that missed my truck by, I don't know, a couple feet. And then right after that, it was, uh, what we call a mass caliber, mass casualty event. I don't know, 20 some Afghans that were involved, like seven or eight died. And, uh, as a medic, I went over to work on a couple of them. I was up the road and I had my hand in one dude's pelvis trying to stop some bleeding and was trying to work on the other dude. And then they started shooting at me, which was the craziest thing in the world because, you know, the shooting starts and like, oh, they're shooting. And then when you actually start seeing like little puffs on the ground next to you, you're like, oh, they're actually shooting at me. <laughs> and I, my gun was too far away to reach. So all I did was just hunker down, trying to hold pressure on this wound. And I'm like, I mean, either I'm going to live or I'm going to die. Like, this is it. I, I don't have any way to figure it out. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I survived that and we kept fighting. What happens in that moment? Like what goes through your brain of like, either I'm going to live or I'm going to die. You know, there wasn't a lot, uh, that I remember in that moment, other than looking next to my arm and seeing the puffs, little puffs on the ground of like bullets next to me. Um, and then just being mad at myself that my gun was too far away. Um, I think that the train kicks in some and I didn't, I didn't do the whole Hollywood thing of like my life flashing before my eyes and regrets and all that stuff. It was just more like, it was just more like the train kicking in, to be honest with you. And I think the reflective, the reflectiveness on the backside is, is where it's more poignant for me because, you know, I, I got back to my position after that happened. We medevaced the guys out we could and I was sitting there looking at my hands covered in blood and I was trying to like clean them with some water and dirt. I was like, well, I almost died. That was crazy. Um, and I just, I feel like the Lord brought that experience at church in my, in my life prior to that, because I was listening to sermons while I was over, over in Afghanistan. Um, and I had a couple other guys that were interested. So we'd like sit, you know, in our little, little area and listen to a couple sermons that were, we'd have to keep buffering because the internet sucked. <laughs> Can't imagine why. But I mean, yeah, just, it gave me a thirst to like stay in, in the Bible and like to stay next to the Lord. And I got back from that and I was, I was pretty shaken up like for a couple of days. And I feel like that was maybe something God used to just be like, Hey, I want you to really understand what it is to like, to lean on me and to need me. So, um, yeah, we got in a bunch of other gunfights during that trip. And then, uh, we were two weeks out from leaving. And, uh, one of my best friends, Liam Nevins, um, was in another area. There's a green on blue event, which, uh, means that the guys that were training turned on us and they killed him. They told, killed, uh, Tim, McGill, who's another team guy. They killed another support guy who was a really good dude. Um, and Liam and I had actually talked about, before we had deployed, you fill out a death packet, which basically is like, hey, all your wishes, wish, it's called a pause packet, but personal affairs work, worksheet. But we called it a death packet, and you write a death bio, 
and you put all your fares in order and then you pick who you want to fly you home to your family. And we picked each other and we, you know, we laughed about it. We're like, okay, bro, you got me. Like if I get whacked, like I'll fly you home. Yeah. And so I hadn't thought much about it until he got killed. And then I got that notification and, um, yeah, so I, uh, ended up escorting his body home to his wife or to his fiance and his mom, his two sisters. And, uh, yeah, it was, um, that was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life to get off that plane and just see how broken they were. Um, and, uh, so I went to his funeral and spoke at his funeral and then went back to Fort Bragg to meet up with the rest of the guys. And we were there for another month doing our demobilization stuff. Um, and it was a really, it was a really hard tour for everybody, especially after losing Liam. So they had us in some barracks with no Wi-Fi. Um, we were doing a couple hours of language training a day and then we were stuck in the barracks. So pretty much everybody was an alcoholic. Like all we did was just go to class for a couple hours a day, work out maybe once or twice a day and then just drink, try to forget. Um, I think that was kind of the beginning. I would say not even the beginning, but like the extension of like how you slap a bandaid on something with alcohol, you know? Um, so I got back from that, man. I was pretty, I was pretty, pretty torn up for the next few years. Uh, I ended up doing some other deployments over the rest of the world and, um, just trying to figure things out. But I think one constant remained and that was that like, even through all that, like brokenness, it was like, God was like, Hey, um, I still, I'm still with you. Um, there's a prayer that I, I wrote my Bible a long time ago. Maybe it's like, it's one of those prayers that, you know, maybe it's based a little bit out of, I don't want to say arrogance, but just like not really understanding. But um, it was just, God, if, if there's to be trouble or sickness or hardship in my family, I ask you, just give it to me. You've given me broad shoulders to handle it. Um, so give it to me and spare my family. Like, I'll take it all. Just give it to me. And I don't want to say, like, I'd answer that prayer, but I, I would say looking back at my life, like, there's been a lot of trouble and hardship. And it's like, if if that's something he answered, he's like, hey, this is what I created you for, then that's, that's part of it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was still going to church in 2014, 2015, and I was, I was still partying a lot, still chasing women, um, Definitely wasn't like living right, but there were things changing inside me, I would say. Um, and for the good, um, I ended up uh, reuniting with my wife at church, um, which we had dated back in 2007. And uh, I was in love with her, like head, head over heels in love. And I think it was real. Um, but you know, we were trying to do the long distance thing through the army and it didn't work and she ended up dumping me. And so I was heartbroken. I was like, fine, I'm just going to go on a rampage, which I did. <laughs> but, uh, I think when God started calling me back, like I was exposed to her and we ended up, went, up, went out for coffee one time and just didn't really work out. We just were on separate pages, but I feel like God was still doing work in my heart. And, um, she ended up writing me a message on Facebook at that. And I guess it was what, 2000. 15. The prime of Facebook. 
in the prime. The, in the prime, in the yeah. Prime. Um, just apologizing for, you know, um, kind of the way things went down. She was like, hey, I'd like to meet up. And I was like, okay. Like, I figured she just wanted to clear the air. And I was late. To, I was like 45 minutes late to, like, where she invited me to, to meet up with her. She waited. And then I sat down. And she was like, well, I guess you're wondering why I asked you here. And I was like, uh, yeah. She's like, well, I don't really know why, but, like, I feel like God is telling me that we're supposed to be together. I was like, okay. And I looked her straight in the eye and I was like, that's cool, but I'm crazy. And she was like, what do you mean? I was like, no, I'm, I'm legitimately crazy. I don't think you want to be with me. She's like, well, I don't really know what that means, but this is what, this is how I feel. So we ended up starting to date through 2015, um, in 2016 and, uh, well, 2015. And then I ended up asking her to marry me at the end of 2015. And, um, then I was like, at that time, I'd just been deploying nonstop, kind of on and off, taking training opportunities. And uh, so I was like, well, I needed to find something stable. So I was like, well, I was at a job fair and Jefferson County Sheriff's Department was hiring. And they're like, yeah, we'd love to have you. So I applied and they accepted me. So I started their academy in uh, January of 2016. Uh, went through the academy, graduated as a deputy sheriff and started working in the jail. Um, and then we got married um, on seven seven sixteen. So uh, I was still working in the jail, and then we got an order that came down. It was like, "Hey, you guys are going to Afghanistan again." So I started getting ready for that. Obviously, it was different this time being married. Um, so yeah, we rolled out in two thousand seventeen, and it was another really hard deployment. Um, we were kind of all over all over Afghanistan, um, and it kind of culminated. Culm- culminated 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 yeah uh in fighting isis in kandahar province in momon valley they they had asked for volunteers so me and a couple other buddies volunteered we're like yeah yeah we'll go fight isis so we got to the valley and um everything west of us was was all isis so um, we got in some gunfights got blown up a few times and then they had a they had a final operation planned where they were like hey man we're going to push ISIS all the way out of the valley as long as it takes us. So we had uh, two teams on either side of the valley with their partner forces, and we just pushed for a full day, um, gotten lots of gunfights. And um, I remember specifically that morning I had sat down and uh, watched the sunrise, and I was reading my Bible, and I was just reading Psalm 23. And just the thing that resonated so much with, with me was, Though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, you were with me. And we were in a valley. It was Momon Valley. And the shadow of death was like, hey, there are IEDs laced everywhere. You're going to get shot at. You might get killed. Um, and I just remember thinking, like, God, is he's still with me. Like, he hasn't left. Um, and I am in the valley of the shadow of death, like, very literally. Um, and there were three instances that day that I know of, and there may have been more that I didn't see, but that I should have died. Um, the first was, uh, we were clearing IEDs and I stepped on one. I didn't even know it. Um, and then we kept walking and then the, the guys behind us found it and we're like, Oh gosh, we like walked right over that. I stepped directly on the idea to go off. So they blew it in place and we kept moving. Uh, the second was, um, we were getting shot at by this sniper who was using a dishka, which is 
uh, basically a 12.5 millimeter round, which if you know anything about rounds, it's like a 50 cal. So it's a huge, yeah. it's a huge round anti-aircraft round, almost maybe a little bit smaller. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I peeked out from behind this rock to try to get a shot at him and the rock next to my head exploded. Uh, he missed me by maybe like six, six inches, uh, would have blown my head off. Um, and then the other, th- there were a couple other instances where, you know, I almost got killed that day. But one of the things that really stands out the most was there were four, four guys in that valley, um, out of four teams that were named Aaron. Um, and I was one of them obviously, but, uh, it just, it hadn't really occurred to me like, how kind of rare that is that four people have the name Aaron that are on the same operation. And, um, we got to our bed down location cause we we're going to spend the night and keep pushing the next day. And, uh, the team on the south or north side of us um, got into some stuff and we heard a big explosion and lots of gunfire. And then it came over the radio that uh, there was one SF guy that was KIA or killed in action. Um, so then it was another like two hour gunfight. We got back, we found out it was Aaron Butler um, and, uh, and he was killed pretty instantly on the explosion. Um, and then we got pulled out of that valley the next day. But it just reinforced for me, like, one, that God was with me. He had his hand on me. And two, that he does have a plan in everything. Um, I got back from that deployment, and I was, there were a lot of other things that happened. I mean, we could probably sit for, like, four hours, and I could tell you all kinds of stuff. But um, those are kind of, like, the high points. I got back. I was I was pretty depressed, um, dealing with anxiety and depression and just really just dealing with the demons of all that stuff. Um, and so I took, I went back to the jail for a little bit and that was toxic. I was working nights. So I was just constantly, um, dealing with sleep issues and still dealing with drinking too much to try to work, you know, try to cover that anxiety and depression. And then, um, I ended up taking a full-time army job and, uh, Took a pause on the sheriff's department and, um, yeah, that was 2018. Um, that was kind of through 2017, 2018. And then, um, we were trying to get pregnant around that time. And I ended up getting hired by South Metro fire, fire, uh, rescue, which I thought was, you know, kind of a good, um, transition. Cause I'm, I'm also a, a civilian paramedic. So, um, yeah, our, our, our son Judah was born, um, about four months later, I was in the fire Academy. So I was working these 12 hour days with like a four or five month year old at home, which was pretty rough. But, um, yeah, by the grace of God, I made it through that fire Academy. There were some really, really hard things. Side note. Uh, I do not like heights, <laughs> like climbing a 35 foot ladder doesn't seem like a big deal. It just sucks. I'm just like, I don't like this. I don't want to do it. And you jumped out of planes. Yeah, it doesn't really bother me as much because you're so high up. You're like, ah, well, it doesn't really seem like it's that high. But the 35 feet. Man, is... I don't know what it is. It's weird. Like my <laughs> legs start shaking. And literally, there's nothing to make you feel like a bigger pansy than like having your legs shake. You get up like even 28 feet in the air and your legs are shaking. You're like, oh, it's okay. I'm fine. I had too much caffeine. Just keep swimming. It's not the... Just keep swimming. <laughs> Um, and also I, I, I really hate small spaces. I found that I'd never had a, like a, uh, a mask on it's called an SCBA, a self-contained breathing apparatus. 
um, and you're just breathing compressed air and you're trying to cr cram yourself through these tiny little spaces that you can't move in, in the dark because they black out your mask. So I had a full on anxiety, like panic attack. And I almost quit. I was like, I can't do this. And they were awesome. They like walked me through it. And to this day, it's still not my favorite thing. I can do it. But um, that's why I say really by the grace of God, I made it through. Because I thought I was just going to be, it's going to be a walk in the park, man. It's just a fire fire department. But there's some real things that you're like, yeah, I don't really like this. <laughs> um, but that kind of brings everything up to present day. I'm, I'm working as a firefighter paramedic. Um, still doing part-time guard stuff um, with the SF side of things. Um, and just honestly, I feel like come, f come full circle. Like it's like, it hasn't been an easy life, but it has been so apparent that God's been with me through all of it. And not just like this, like with me, like God's with me, but like physically understanding that like there are circumstances where I either should have made it or I could have killed myself or like the, the mental health struggle could have like consumed me. but. It didn't. Mm. And, um, yeah, man, it just, I, I feel like it's just a testament to like God's goodness and, um, his mercy. And I pulled this, this verse up cause it's one of my favorite verses. It's in Isaiah 30 and, um, in verse 20, it says, and though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way walk in it when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. I love that verse, man, because it's just like, it just reinforces like God does sometimes give us that bread of adversity in the water of affliction. It's like, this is going to be your diet, man. You're like, you're going to, you're going to go through it. But at the end of it, like, I'm going to direct you. And when you turn off to the left or the right, because you're going to do it, he's, he's going to continue to like, be like, hey, bro, not that way, this way. Hey, bro, not that way, this way. Like, keep, keep moving forward. Um, so no, I feel like my life has just been a testament to the goodness of God, man. Like, so that, that's, thank you. Yeah. Dude, sorry. Long winded. No, please. That's exactly what you're here for. I, I, as I hear all that, so I, I, I have a couple of questions, uh, to go way back to your parents got a divorce mm -hmm. and you lived with your mom. How? Just from our conversations through the last couple of years, uh, how has that been with your parents and how has that formed kind of how you parent uh, uh, relationship wise with your mom and your dad and Judah? And, mm -hmm. um, what does that look like? So um, I think in my younger years, I went through a really long period where I was really angry with my dad. Um, especially after the divorce, my dad was a pastor. And so we were all really involved in the church and all this stuff. And there was just all this church drama that, that happened. Um, and there's a lot of blame laid on my dad, which I don't know all the details, man. I think, you know, I choose to believe the best in people. So, um, I think that he was doing the best he could at the time he, he could do it. And, um, people are people and the church fell apart. And then after that, I think it affected my parents' marriage, um, where there was just so much hurt and pain and, you know, some substance abuse stuff. There was just like all this stuff. And, um, 
you know, my reaction to that as a young man was anger. Um, and so I was kind of estranged from my dad for a while. We, any conversation we had was really toxic. It just didn't really go anywhere other than just arguing or crying or, um, being angry. Um, I would say that, that I know I made mistakes and there were things I did wrong and I own those. And I also think that it's important to embrace just like total forgiveness and what that looks like. And I'm still trying to learn what that, what that is on a daily basis. Cause I don't think you just forgive somebody and then it's like, cool, I forgave you. Like it's a daily thing. You have to be like, I choose today to forgive you. Like for how, how you hurt me, whether you meant to hurt me or whether you believe you hurt me, I, I choose to let it go because otherwise we keep that person and ourselves in like this, this cage of just like toxicity of anger and frustration and hurt. And it's like the only, the only person you can control is yourself. Hmm. And I think that that's, you know, why God, why Jesus really talked about forgiveness so much, you know? Um, so I think for, as that translates into my parenting, um, there are a couple concepts that I want my son to just embrace wholly and to learn as he's a kid. Because one of the things, man, my dad, when we were kids, he was adamant that we would know the Bible. Like, I think when I was like six or seven, I knew like 30 or 40 scripture verses by heart. Like Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Like I can quote those not because like I've spent so much time in the word that I'm like this spiritual warrior. But like my dad instilled those in me as a kid where it was like, you need to hide the word, word in your heart. So he would have us memorize that stuff and he would teach us about Jesus. And he would always, he would tell us these stories when we were kids, you know, from the scripture about, you know, Jesus walking on the water and he'd always end them with, and do you know why he was able to do that? And we'd be like, because Jesus is God. And that was like the premise of all of it. So I've taken a lot of that in my own parenting where it's like, I want my son not to just grow up like a good boy, like that's kind, but like a good boy that understands humility and kindness and mercy and sacrifice because he sees it exemplified in the scripture and he sees it exemplified in my life. Hmm. Because if I can raise that kind of boy, I think it's countercultural where it's like, I could care less about him becoming president or all this other stuff for being famous. But if he's a kind man that loves Jesus, I think that's the right way to go. And that's what I want. I just, I want him to, to have a heart for like the, the people that are hurting and the people that are broken and the people that like can't give back to him when he gives to them. And he's like, no man, this is, I'm doing this because I, I love Jesus. This is what he did for me first. If I can do that as a dad, I think I'm done it right. And I've, I, I commend my dad for real, for, uh, kind of growing us up that way. My mom is one of the most compassionate people I've ever met. She, uh, her love language, I think is food. She loves making, she loves making food and she'll be the first to like show up at your door with like a homemade casserole or like soup or something just to be like, Hey, I care about you and you need this. Um, I think those two things coming together, like to the best qualities in my parents that I want to like encapsulate in the way that we raise our kids. So that's cool. That's cool that you were able to turn 
I mean, honestly, it's hard, like you said, to forgive somebody uh, over and over again when the, the wound doesn't just, because you forgive somebody, the wound doesn't just go away. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, like, I think it's so wise that you say, like, it's a daily surrender because mm. the wound hurt today. <laughs> and yeah. I got to forgive you for yeah. that wound today. Yeah. But you're able to take, it's a perspective change or like a, a framing, a reframing of, yeah, your dad did cause you hurt, but you were able to find the good in it mm. or in him and take that and apply it to today. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's really cool. So like, good on you for that. That's, oh, it's, that's the Lord working my heart. And I'll tell you this much. Like I actually, I listened to a sermon on forgiveness by RT Kendall. He's preaching at Mark Driscoll's church and he was on uh, forgiveness. And one thing that he said that spoke to me so much was he's like, you know, if you really forgive somebody, you don't go tell other people what they did. Like you don't, you don't broadcast it. You don't share with other, like, you're not like out there being like, this is what happened. And this is what they did. Like, that's truly to let go. And I want to make that something that I do on a on a daily basis of like, you know, if, if I'm truly forgiving people, I'm going to conceal their wrongs. Even if it like hurts my feelings a little bit to like, not be able to talk about it. I think that's a pretty cool concept because like if, if today, like, you know, we get done here and you punch me in the face and I'm like, man, that sucks. You broke my nose because you're a big dude. Um, and then I go like post it on social media. I don't have really social media, but like, I don't know if I go out and broadcast, oh, this is who Mitch Parsons is. Like he, you know, he's a dick. Like he punched me in the face. Like that's not really forgiveness. Like now I'm exposing all these other people to the to the perspective that I have of you. Yeah. Whereas if I'm like, Hey man, you know what? I love you. No big deal. Like you were mad because I drank your coffee or whatever it was. <laughs> um, like now we can have a relationship. You know? Yeah. Because you understand that I'm not out to hurt you. You understand yeah. that I like, I actually care about you because I'm not trying to destroy your life. Yeah. You know what I mean, yeah. So now that's really good. That's, that's awesome. I, I have one more question. Well, I have a couple more questions and then I promise I'll get you out of here. <laughs> you uh, good, how has, I guess the, the coping, the PTSD, the, the post Iraqi tour, uh, Afghani tour with alcohol, h- how has the Lord shown his face in that? And how is it like, as far as like affecting your relationships, affecting, mm-hmm. uh, how you parent, how you're a husband, how you're a son or a friend. Um, what has the Lord taught you in that? Mm. You know, I mean, I'll be the first to say I'm not, um, I'm not out of the woods yet. I'll put it that way. Like I still, I still struggle with like using alcohol to, to relax. I can't, I just, I can't be at home and just sit down and enjoy not doing stuff. Like I haven't figured that out yet. And I've, I've been in therapy and counseling and, you know, side note, um, that stuff is really good. And I think it's an old school mentality that like, if you go to counseling or therapy, like it's a weakness. Now I just, I think that, um, you know, Proverbs says in the abundance of counselors, there's much wisdom. So I think the more people you can have, like that come in and be like, Hey man, like this is something that you're dealing with. Like, let's talk about it. That's good. That's a side note. But, um, it's a good side. Note. Thank <laughs> you. 
I, I think that, um, you know, I, I definitely still struggle with, with drinking alcohol to, um, to kind of numb pain and to deal with anxiety. Um, you know, I was sitting down with my brother-in-law, Craig. So Craig, if you're listening to this, shout out to you because you have a, the best beard I've ever seen. Shout out to Craig. <laughs> but he told me and he looked me straight. I was having a bad day and, um, you know, I kind of shared that I was just struggling. He's like, you know, um, it's a process. Like the, the struggle doesn't mean just one day you're going to like wake up and like, now you don't deal with stuff anymore. Like you have to, you have to understand it's a process and, and God is still working in you. And it just gave me such hope that it's like, even if you're in a place, like I got a buddy that's, he deals with math, man. Like, and that's his thing. And he loves Jesus. And he wants so bad to just like not have those, those callings anymore. But like, that's a struggle. I think we all have our own little, like, you know, little band-aid sin of like, this is what I do when I'm in a bad place. And I think just understanding that, like, you know, the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in Romans 8 is just my absolute favorite passage of Scripture. And it says, you know, neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. It's like, if I understand that and nothing else that like, even on my worst day where I'm like, dude, I got depressed today. I, my anxiety was through the roof. I got bad news. And what I did was I just got pretty drunk and just was like super depressed. Like on that day, God sees me in that. And he's like, dude, I still love you. Like, I love you so much. And I don't want to see you suffering. If that's the premise that I look at, at the Lord from, it changes things. And I'll tell you, Mitch, like, and you, you'll see, man, when you have your little kid, I, I tell the, I tell our men's group this all the time, man, when Judah was like six months old and he was laying there on the changing table, just covered in his own shit. Sorry. Hey, you're right. But, and he was screaming, crying because he was like, this is the worst. I'm covered in it. I can't change anything. And, and there's no end in sight. And me as a dad, I'm like, buddy, I'm going to fix you up. I'm going to clean you up because I have that capacity. I'm going to put a new diaper on you. And then we're going to go downstairs and we're going to have some ice cream. And that's like my father's heart. And it's not just I developed this on my own. Like that's God's heart toward me where he's like, he sees me just covered in my own crap. And he's like, buddy, like I have the capacity, the ultimate capacity to clean you up, to make you perfect, to call you holy. And then we're going to go have ice cream. That's so cool. And it's like, if I look at God through that lens, it changes my perspective and my paradigm of how I look at like my relationship with God, where I'm like, okay, all right, you're working in me. I just have to be patient on the process. Wow. That's really good. I love, I think that you are such an example of like, I think so often people are like, oh, my testimony doesn't carry weight because I'm not out of it yet. Mm. Like I'm not through it yet. Well, like you never will be. Right. Right. <laughs> like you, yeah. until until you're inner we, storm are you going about to be in a storm yeah you're you're going from one like in your terms like from one you're in the same war but you're going from one battle to a different battle mm -hmm. to a different battle and uh, you might be in a valley one day or you are in i don't know somewhere else in iraq that's not a valley but it's mm -hmm. same war different circumstances different yeah. um, i think that's what paul says in corinthians you know he says 
we're continually going from one degree of glory to the next. It's not like this massive shift of like, I'm at zero degrees and now I'm at 180 degrees. Yeah. It's literally like one degree. One degree. And all along the way, the Lord is present and there. And like, I think to the, the Israelites as they're being chased into the promised land, like they, they, you, so testimonies used to be like stacks of rocks. Mm-hmm. Like they would build, Currents, yeah. yeah, they would, they would build these stacks of, to be like, the Lord showed up here, glory, glory to the Lord, honor mm-hmm. to the Lord. And they, the Lord split the Red Sea. The Egyptians were chasing them out. They ran through and they, it, it says, in, it, sh- it like makes note in the Bible that they built a testimony, mm-hmm. but they weren't to even they didn't get to the prom. It wasn't Red Sea into the promised land. It was Red Sea away from the Egyptians. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and like, for sure. and so like, your story is that and where it's like, it's one, one little battle at a time. And you, throughout your whole testimony, as you shared it, it was but like, look what God did here, mm-hmm. but look what God did here. Mm-hmm. And then we ended talking and you're like, and I'm not done yet, but like, look what God is doing. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's, that's testimony yeah. and that's power and that's that's awesome and I'm just like thank you for sharing and for and for imparting wisdom on well truly me first but everyone who's going to listen to this and so uh, I keep saying I have a couple of questions I have two left and then we're done yeah um, I want to say something too when you're done with your questions okay all right yeah you, you can go first you're more important rock paper scissors no no no, no. just my house <laughs> house rules fine I just want to say like. Especially for this podcast, like one of the, one of the things that, that's heavy on my heart is just like biblical manhood and what that looks like. Because I feel like our society right now is just pushing this narrative of like what it means to be a man is to be successful or to sleep with the most women or to make the most money or just be the most dangerous man in the room. Like all those things mean you're a man. And it's like, seriously, by the grace of God, I've been able to, to be in a lot of those categories. And it's like, not one time has that fulfilled that longing in my heart of like what real manhood is. Mm -hmm. I think the only time that in my life that I really feel like I'm fulfilling my purpose and my calling as a, as a real man is when I'm a good dad, a good husband, or when I'm pursuing the Lord, like Mm -hmm. that's it. And, um, man, I mean, you can, you can go kill as many people as you want. I'll tell you, it's it just is what it is. Like that's human conflict. It doesn't make you more of a man. Either it makes you a psychopath or um, you're going to drink a lot and chase combat forever. And I've got a lot of those buddies. Um, but we've, you know, them and I have both been there where it's like you thirst for killing people because you're like, well, this makes me more of a man. Or you thirst for chasing after the hottest chick in the bar because you're like, oh, this is, you know, filling that manhood. But it's all a facade, man. And that's why, you know, the Bible says in Psalm 16, 11, like at your, in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's like, if you really want true joy and you really want true fulfillment, God made us to, to pursue him. And John Piper said the best. He said, you know, we are most satisfied. Um, they got it. Or let's see, hold on. Dang it. Um, God is most satisfied in us. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And I love that because it's like the glory of God is most fulfilled when we are most just like completely satisfied with, with 
with fulfilling our purpose, which, which is a chief end of man, right? The catechism, old school catechism says, you know, like, what is a chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever? Like, that's what we we're created for. We weren't created for like these empty pursuits of like what we think manhood is of like, I'm going to be this macho dude. And I just, I think of all these dudes that I know that are like pursuing that. And it's like, and you could be the UFC champion of the world. Great. Like you're good at beating other people up. Like, who are you inside? Hmm. You could be the, you know, the Medal of Honor recipient, Green, Green Beret, like, or Navy SEAL. I don't really, I mean, SEALs, whatever. <laughs> but like, you could be that. And it's like, but yeah, who are you on the inside? And I feel like we all have this emptiness as men where we're striving to like figure out what it is to really be a man. And like, I just think there, there are some concepts in the Bible that are so clear on what like being fulfilled as a man is being humble being kind, being loving, being compassionate, being strong when, when we need to be strong, especially for those that aren't strong for us. I mean, God is super serious about like protecting the widows and orphans, the people that are most compromised. And when we do those things, I feel like we find our purpose as men and we're able to stand up and be like, I'm, a, I'm pursuing true manliness. So I just wow. want to throw that out there because I just feel like there are so many guys that they're pursuing this concept of manliness. It's like, it's a facade, man. And it, it only ends in like more emptiness. So that's, you should write a book. You need to no, dude. Put that down. Uh, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I, did you speak in my language? I love all of that. It's like what the world, what the world, Words are hard. Wow. What, <laughs> what the word calls a man to be and what the world calls a man to yeah, be. And there's 100%. such a chasm in between the two yeah. that uh, the enemy puts, like even in your case, like the enemy puts shame on you in places where you don't meet those standards of what the word or what the world says. Right. And like, oh, Aaron, you're not pulling all of the, this money in and you're not doing this. And like, shame on you. Right. Like, you're not a man. You're not providing for your wife because blah, 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 blah. Like, Dude, even as simple as like, hey, your lawn's not as cool as the dude ne dudes next to you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, that that's legitimately where we're at as a society where it's like, there's all these little expectations that we see on in the media and TV and that we feel like we have to fulfill as men where it's like, if you're not doing that, bro, I don't really know if you're a man or like, yeah, mm -mm. yeah how much you make in a year. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's... And this, I mean, again, so this question then you might have just answered uh, through your response or Sweet. your... I looked at your notes before, so... Yeah, thank you. Um, I That's fine. You had to cheat to get ahead. It's all right. <laughs> you ain't cheating. You ain't you trying, You ain't bro. cheating. You ain't trying. Um, my daughter, when you're listening to this 10 years from now, that's not true. We, we, <laughs> <laughs> we are integrous in the Parsons So home. integrous, yes. Um, yeah. But... I, if you could look back at Aaron Smith five years ago, or you actually, you put the, the time on it. So like the, like the, I think you look at the, the crossroads point. So mm -hmm. whether that be 2007, when you joined the military, uh, whether that be when it was, when your parents got a divorce, 2009, um, 2009 or whether that be when you, uh, what, whatever point. What would be one thing you could say to that, Aaron? Mm. First of all, I'd punch myself in the face. <laughs> Hard. <laughs> the dorky little dude. 
Um, you know, I think first and foremost, I'd give myself a big old hug. Yeah. And just be like, it's not over. I think that it's so easy in the midst of trauma, uh, whether it's like emotional trauma or physical trauma, it's so easy to just only see the ground level and only see what you're going through. Um, and it's so hard to, to understand that there, there is a future and a hope. Um, you know, he, Hebrews, I think it's chapter four, talks about how we have this anchor for our souls. And it's talking about Christ. Um, so if I could just remind myself, like, hey, man, like, I know you're in it right now. And I know your heart is completely broken. And you feel like there's nothing left. And all you want to do is just go overseas and get in gunfights and maybe die. Like, because that's what I really wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there is a hope. And um, I, I love in James 1 where it talks about you know, count it all joy, my brothers, when you experience these trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance, I, I'm probably missing some stuff, but it, but the end result is hope. And hope does not put us to shame because of the love God has poured out for us in Jesus Christ. And it's like, if I, if I could remind myself, like, hey, man, you are, you're in the middle of the fire and you're going through it, but I promise it's it is refining you and the end result's going to be like a hope that can't be shaken because you've already been through it. Mm. I think that would be good along with that really good right hook. Cause I'd be like, so right hook first or hug first or mm-hmm. pull in for a hug and get it like a nice right hook. Like to I the think bo- the right hook body. first, man. Yeah. Right. Got shock and awe. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Speed surprise balance <laughs> of action. Dude, that's no, that's really good. Wow. Um, I love your ability, dude. You're like dripping in the spirit and the fact that like you can just pull scripture from. I told you, dude. It's, it's ingrained. Mean, I really do think it came from my dad, honestly. Dad. Um, and God's given, God's given me just like, and this is, it's really is God given. Like I just, I love like how, um, when, when I open the word, and I don't do it as often as I should, man. I wish I was like the kind of dude that was like, I wake up at 3.30 in the morning and I read four hours of the Bible. I, I don't do that. But like, I feel like when you open the Bible, even if you don't even know it, and you're just like, God, I want to hear from you. And if you could speak to me, that'd be really cool. And then you like start reading. And he's like, I got you, fam. And then there's that one verse for that day where you're like, I'm pissed off at my boss and blah, blah, blah. And then you read like Ephesians where it talks about like, be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other. And you're like, oh gosh, like why did that have to be there? And it's like, God's like, yeah, uh, you're welcome. (laughs) But it's always like that. If, if like we approach the scriptures, like the word that reads us, not just the word that we read, it's like God answers that. And that humble dude, like one of the things that's been like, marinating in my mind is like in Matthew five, where it says the first thing the creator of the universe said to those who were listening, he sat down on the Mount of the Beatitudes, right? The Mount of Olives. And he's like, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we blow over that, but it's like, 
what does it really mean to be poor in spirit? It means to like, be like, I have nothing. Like, I am nothing apart from Christ. And when you have that kind of heart mentality and you're like, I approach the Bible from that perspective of like, like, God, you have to teach me because I don't know anything. And I'm kind of dumb. So if you could like really dumb it down for me, that'd be really good. And he's like, I, I got you. But that like poor in spirit, I've just been marinating on that. But I think the more that we can do that, the more like the Lord opens a word to us and he's like, I'm going to teach you now. Oh. Wow. Dude, I love that. Holy cow. That's really Cows good. are not holy except in India. Cows are not holy. <laughs> but I've had some really good burgers before. So, you know, Dude, that's... Why do? Well, oh, let's not get started. We could go on a different mm. chat. But, okay, so, my last question, and I'm going to kind of tinker it. I've been asking... I've been asking... Um, the question, if you could... Okay. If you could t- tell someone not Aaron Smith uh, a piece of advice or an encouragement or just, hey, blank... But I want to kind of add something to yours because I have been so encouraged by you in, through our friendship. And I know that mental health is something that's very important to you. Uh, if you could speak to somebody who is in a war right now between their ears. We talked, we both talked about this earlier where like in common, we've had, we've literally had the same thought of like, I wonder what would happen if I just drove head first into mm, this traffic. Right. Like, I wonder how, like, who, we've had that thought. We've been down that path. Uh, so one, one or however many pieces of advice or encouragement or for a person in that, in that realm, that's, that there are bombs blowing up between their ears as they listen mm-hmm. to this. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good question. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, and I, I hate even saying because it, it's just cliche a little bit, um, is that you're not alone. I I was sitting in this, <laughs> is after 2013, um, and they have these mandatory what are called yellow ribbon things, and they have these psychiatrists sit down and do these like group breakout sessions, and um, I had like a massive coffee cup full of Jim Beam and sitting in this thing. And this lady was like, oh, you guys are not alone. And I'm like, dude, shut up. Like, I don't want to hear that. Um, but I think the concept of that, of understand, uh, if, if you are listening to this and you hear us talking about this stuff, like, understand that it's not just like the hippie, dippy kind of BS, you know, you're not alone type stuff that you hear from like, some psychiatrists that literally went to, you know, Berkeley college and never have experienced anything in their lives. But like the truth of the matter is, man, like guys, there are so many guys across the world that are dealing with like unseen, unheard hurt and pain. And that just internalize it. Like I'm one of them. Like my, my de facto um, method is just to like, grab a big box in my brain, put all the crap I don't want to deal with it, deal with in it, seal it up and then compartmentalize it and be like, well, I'll deal with it later. And then when it comes up, I'm like, oh, well, I'm not ready to deal with it. So like have some drinks. And then it comes up again. I'm like, nope, still not ready to deal with it. Either have some drinks or like go work out or whatever until it goes away. 
And then you can only do that so many times before it starts manifesting in other ways. So I think that'd be the first thing is like, just understand like this is, it is normative to deal with stuff. That would be the first thing. I think the second thing, there are really three things and I just came up with that in my head. So maybe there are probably more, but that's the first thing is like, uh, you're with us in that same camp. And the second thing is like, you just need to talk about it, man. Just air that out. Just get it out there. Even if it's like to somebody over a beer and you're like, Hey bro, can I be like pretty honest with you? Um, I'm dealing with this. Like if it's porn or if it's like lust or if it's like depression or anger or whatever it is, chances are the person that you actually talk to is maybe going through the same stuff or has gone through the same stuff or knows somebody that's going through the same stuff. And they're not going to like ostracize you or make fun of you or call you a little pansy. And if they do, then they're probably not a very good friend. That's Mm -hmm. just the truth. Like I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with somebody like, and we've had a couple of beers and usually it takes like maybe like three beers, three good beers. Three, and like, like IPAs. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the high gravity ones. <laughs> and I'll just say something like super vulnerable. I'll just be like, yeah, man, like, man, this last past week I was dealing with depression and I was just like, you know, I was really dealing with it. And all of a sudden their eyes light up. They're like, really? Like, dude, me too. And then it starts a conversation because then the, it, it doesn't seem weird because you're like, I'm just going to be honest Like, I'm not trying to like impress you or like be this hard dude. Like, no, this is, this is real. Um, so the instant you can start that conversation with somebody that you kind of trust, I think that's a big deal. And then the third thing is like, um, to be honest with you, one of my favorite quotes is if not the, if, if not, but for the grace of God, there go I, um, I'll just say that like, Jesus Christ is is the only reason that I'm still alive. It's really true. I should have died more times than I can count. Um, I, I've got multiple buddies that have taken their lives because they had no hope. And if, if you don't have hope, then you don't have a future. And uh, the thing I love about Jesus is, is he told his disciples, like, he told everybody, man. He's like, hey, if you're weary and you're tired and you have a really hard burden, like come talk to me because my burden is really light and it's really easy. And I'm going to give you rest for your soul. Hmm. And when I really think about that, of what Christianity is, it's not God saying, well, if you perform really well, then I will love you. If you do all these things that I've written down, then maybe I'll love you as long as you don't mess it up. It's God saying you're screwed up and you'll never make it. You'll never be perfect, but I love you just the way you are. And if you come, if you come hang out with me, I promise you, your life's going to change and then things will be different. Um, I think that's a message, message of God of the world. And I love that because I'm like, the more I look at my life, I'm like, man, I can't do anything right on my own. And so when I hear God say, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I love you. Come on, let's work on it together. I'm like, okay, all right, fine. I'll do that. <laughs> wow. Did you, I don't even need to say it, like you just thank you for preaching that and for sharing that and we need to give you a microphone no, and put you on stage. Uh, no, man, I'll be in the shadows. <laughs> no, Aaron, I, I do, I want to thank you for coming on. I literally, I, I couldn't say what you said any better or more eloquently and I'm 
honestly, I've known you for a long time now, and I'm mm. like so impressed with this scripture. Like we, I am in your your Bible study in your men's group, and you need to like do this more often because I like you're just pulling oh, stuff like it's like you have your Bible in front of you but you're not flipping through the pages you're just and I I would I am just so encouraged by you uh, I am honored that you're here uh, you're one of my favorite human beings truly I get I I am so sad that I don't when I don't see you on a Sunday it legitimately like I walk to the car and I'm like, I didn't get to see Aaron today. Because I'm your only black friend. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> That's not black. true. Uh, <laughs> but I I tell Jess, I'm like, I literally, there's mornings when I'm like, I don't really want to go to men's group. But Aaron texted me saying that he's going to be there. So I'm going to go. <laughs> and you are that for a lot of people. And so thank you for who you are. Thank you for allowing the Lord to move in a way that he does in your life. Uh, dude, you're awesome. Thanks, bro. Yeah, and I. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna wrap it up with that. That uh, Aaron, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, bro. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the Over a Drink Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at the Over a Drink Podcast and on Twitter at over underscore a underscore drink. Reach out and send me a message. I'd also like to encourage you to visit our website at theoveradrinkpodcast.com and sign up for our email newsletter. We're working on weaponizing testimonies here on this podcast and that isn't exclusive to those who are on the podcast. I'd love for you to send me an email at overadrinkpodcast at gmail.com with a written version of your testimony. I'll put it together in a blog format and then we send it out to everybody on that email list. And in an instant, your testimony will become a weapon. You never know what God is teaching you in your story that may affect somebody else's story. Finally, I want to invite you to join me in supporting this project. There will be a link in the episode notes to a platform called Buy Me a Coffee that will allow you to partner financially with the Over a Drink podcast on a monthly or one-time basis to help move the mission forward of reconfiguring societal norms of what a man should be. Keep an eye out for our next episode. Peace.